0: Good morning, at least good morning for me. I hope you're having a, a wonderful Monday, whatever time it is you're 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 watching this, uh, or if you're catching up another day. Hope you're having a great day. Anyways, this is fun. Uh, I, I never know how to start these things off. It, it just, it always just kind of like, well, let's get into it. Okay, this morning, my morning has been... Uh, it was good, but it's didn't start off that way. It started off feeling like, um, there was a, a, a storm going on in my thoughts. It was just chaos, just thoughts all over the place. And I couldn't get focused and like, what is going on? And, uh, it, the only thing I could describe it as was like a, a tornado going through a trailer park, just chaos and stuff flying everywhere. That was my thoughts this morning and uh, just heard Holy Spirit say, uh, how long are you going to let this go for? I was like, oh, OK. I have. I have power over the storm. And uh, so I was able to just, you know, command that, those thoughts to just sit down, be quiet, calm down and and really get my. My prayer time focus, because that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to pray. And trying to have uh, some time with Jesus and just him and I and and relax, and it was just ah maddening. And so, uh, if you ever find that happening to you, just take command of the storm, tell it to be still, and 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 be at peace. And so, anyways, that, that's that's how my my uh, morning started off chaos in the brain so all right let's let's get into this um as i was preparing last week for um for sunday morning to to talk about the cornerstone um the subject of land as a divine responsibility popped up and thought that would be a good topic for this morning and so i, I want to, I want to go through that some and and talk about a few different things. You know, as we talked about yesterday, um, Jesus is the chief cornerstone, the starting place for everything. Uh, He is the truth that we can measure everything from knowing that he is always placed correctly. And and finally, we talked about the, the kingdom of God being in your hands. Uh, because, uh, you know, the master builders, those religious elites uh, that knew the scriptures better than anyone, those people, they should have recognized Jesus uh, for who he is. And and they failed to do so and, and rejected the very son of God. So, uh, as we have now rightly identify Jesus as the chief cornerstone in our lives, uh, the one that we can measure everything from, uh, I, I want to shift today to talking about the land. Hi, Emery. I want to shift today to talking about the land, and we've been talking a lot recently about the land and how it's uh, how it's listing, and we just need to, to be able to speak to the land. Uh, Israel's land uh, was was a gift from God. Uh, though, ultimately, that land remains under divine ownership. Uh, life in the land is it's therefore categorized by both privilege and responsibility. And when we look at at privilege, it's it's uh, to understand it, we need to know that it's a benefit enjoyed by by a person or a a group of people beyond the advantages of most and, and responsibility that is, is you're answerable or accountable for something within your power, your, your control or your management. And, and I just wanted to break those down really quick because it, it, it's relevant to the conversation that we're having. And so I think that we often forget Forget that about stewardship or or partnership uh, when we are given something by God, particularly the land. We need to understand uh, the the responsibility that we carry there. And so, I, I want to look at uh, a few different things this morning: the the uh, how we should regard the land, uh, our responsibilities, and and how we carry out those responsibilities. And. In in talking about how we should regard the land, if we're if we're saying that ultimately the the land remains under the divine ownership of of the Most High God, then there should be some level of regard uh, for his possession, and then that's where we can go back and and think about that definition of stewardship of of taking care of it and. and uh, and I'm not implying a worship of the land when we talk about regard. I just want to make that clear. I'm saying that we should rightly regard what belongs to God. And there should be a, a reverence there, in acknowledgement that I know, God, this this belongs to you. And I will partner with you and steward the land well. And just so we're clear, stewardship, you know, that that's... Uh, management of another's property or or financial affairs you you are administering uh anything as as an agent on on behalf of another and so uh we've been given oversight or or management of of God's property and uh with that in mind I want to look at the story of of Naaman from uh from 2nd Kings and and I want to talk about that for a minute, and and go through that. So we're going to uh, read Second Kings five, one through nineteen. It says, "Now Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man with his master, and was a great man with his master, and highly respected, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram." I think this is an important thing to stop and note here for a second is that this is how Naaman's described. He's described as a a great man with his master and and highly respected by the king. And and through Naaman, this this king was given victories And, and some of those victories were over Israel. And. So I think that's an important thing to note is that, that God was, did use Naaman uh, and, and gave him victories and, and allowed him to be uh, great in the sight of, of his king. And it goes on to say the man was also a valiant warrior, but he was a leper. Now the Arameans had gone out in bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And so this is one of those things where we see that Naaman had been given a victory over Israel and they had taken captives. And one of them was uh, this little girl that became uh, uh, basically a slave for them. And uh, she was uh, uh, Naaman's wife's slave. So she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, I wish that my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria that he would cure him of leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master saying, thus and thus spoke the girl who was uh f- who is from <clears throat> excuse me from the land of Israel. And so I think we have to to stop here to catch one one little fact that um Naaman was somebody who listened to people just because their status wasn't uh equal to him in society didn't mean he didn't give ear to what it was they were saying if it was wise counsel and so he took what what the the girl had told him and took it to the king and so that then the king of Aram said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel he departed and took with him 10 talents of silver and 6 thousand shekels of gold and 10 changes of clothes these weren't 10 changes of clothes for him but they were <clears throat> excuse me as part of the gift, For the king of Israel. He brought the letter to the king of Israel saying, and now as this letter comes to you, behold, I have sent Naaman, my servant to you, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I a God to kill and to make alive that this man is sending word to me to cure a man of leprosy? But consider now and see how he is seeking a quarrel against me. Okay, we got to understand something here that at this time, the king of Israel did not follow God. He was not in relationship with the prophet Elisha. And there was a a misunderstanding going on here. So what the king of Aram had said in the letter was thinking that the king of Israel would have a tight relationship with this prophet. And he would understand what he was asking here. He's not trying to set the king of Israel up to to not be able to do what's requested, which is healing name of leprosy, and then be able to use that as a means to come against Israel and make war against them. That's not what this was about. But the king, because he did not have relationship, the king of Israel, he didn't have relationship with Elisha, the prophet he he didn't ha- understand this, and so he he misread what was being presented before him, and so that's why he's he's tearing his clothes because uh, that that was a sign that they thought it was uh, something that was untrue or or blasphemous, and, and so he didn't catch that there, and and so that's why he had the response that he did. It goes on and says, it happened when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent word to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Now let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the doorway of the house of Elijah. So he shows up with all of his entourage uh, looking really important at, at Elijah's house. But Elisha didn't, didn't take any, any regard for that. He sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored to you and you will be clean. But Naaman was furious and went away and said, behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper are not Ab- abna and and farpar the rivers of damascus better than all the waters of israel could i not wash in them and be clean so he turned and went away in a rage then his servants came near and spoke to him and said my father had the prophet told you to do some great thing would you not have done it how much more then when he says wash and be clean so again here this is this is a boldness on on behalf of naaman's servants right here because this is an important man in in their country he is a, a general somebody who is very respected by the king who is who has brought about great victories and he is in a rage right now he turns away from from what it was that uh had happened at Elijah's house and he was in a rage but his servants they came there and they spoke to him. They were they were humble and they regarded him and, and they spoke wisdom to him. And what did what happened? Right? Naaman, he responded to this. Again, this shows his character to be able to say, okay, I'm in a rage right now, but these people, they're coming to me and, and they're not coming at me with things to just tickle my ears and and, and try and, and placate me and calm me down. So nothing bad happens to them. They understood the character that that he carried, to listen to wise counsel, and so he did. He listened to them. So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Very interesting here. Like, he's he just has faith enough to to say okay. I'll calm down. I will go do what was instructed to me. And he was healed of leprosy. Goes on and says, when he returned to the man of God with all his company and came and stood before him, he said, Behold now, I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. So please take a present from your servant now but he said as the lord lives before whom i stand i will take nothing and he urged him to take it but he refused so naaman comes back to elisha he wants to to give him all of this treasure that he that he brought uh in order to to pay for the healing but elisha says no that's that's not the way this works you don't you don't get to buy favor with god you're not going to to have uh, me or or God beholden to you uh, because you paid for this. You don't. You're not going to be able to say, "Look at what I paid for." You're only going to be able to say, "Look at what God has done for me." The God of Israel, one Naaman is now proclaiming, is the only God on earth. Look what He's done. So Elisha refused, even after. Uh, um Naaman urging him over and over, please take this. No, he, Elisha refused to to take that. He wasn't going to uh, uh, prostitute out God and the miracle and, and the deliverance from leprosy. So it goes on. It says Naaman said, if not, please let your servant at least be given two mules load of earth. For your servant will no longer offer burnt offering, nor will he sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. In this manner, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Ramon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Ramon. When I bow myself in the house of Ramon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. He said to him, Elisha said to him, go in peace. So he departed from him some distance. So this is the one of the beliefs that they had in in the ancient Near East was that they could uh, take earth from a nation where there was a God over it, that nation, and be able to to worship that God through being on that ground, being on that earth. And so essentially he wanted to take it back with him. But he knew he had a, a, a duty there, as as part of this nation, and that uh, it could end his life if he refused the the king um, leaning on his hand to to worship in this this temple. He didn't want to do it. He knew he had this duty, so it was kind of a. a, a I wouldn't say to to placate anything, but he wanted to be able to worship God, and he wanted to be able to do so on the land that belonged to this nation. So he wanted to take that back to him. So there was a regard there for the land of God. Amen was regarding that in such a manner that he wanted to carry it with him. He wanted to be able to say, I am worshiping on the same land where I was healed. Yeah, it, it is incredible. It, it's, it's, it's an incredible thought to think that there was there was such a regard there that he would want to be able to continue to worship on that land. And so I think that's, that's an important thing for us to catch. You can see the regard that Naaman has for the God of Israel. The one he says he now claims is the only God on earth. So, what what does it look like for us to regard the land? Well, starts with our uh, understanding of who we are and what we're uh, a facet of, and and believing it. And if you go back to yesterday, Andrew talked about um, it's our job to to see the things coming out of heaven believe them and then reach out and grab hold of them step out in faith so when you you know who you are what you are a facet of and and you believe it then you have to you have to know that because you have to know that that you're then walking on holy ground wherever you go Because of what happened at the cross, now we we can say that we are carrying the the holiness, the the holy land of God everywhere we go, because everywhere we step becomes holy ground. That's the special thing about us as as new creatures or uh, new creations. When we step our feet onto a piece of ground, we carry authority there. The land uh, belongs to, to the one we represent as ambassadors. The land as, as part of creation is, is longing for us to be revealed. That's what we're talking about here. And so, uh, this is, the land is longing for us to be revealed. And so, uh, Romans 8, 19 through 21, it says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility or to nothingness, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. It wants to be set free from from our sin as well. We need to we need to know, we need to believe, and we need to step out in faith. And that's that is how you're going to show regard for the land. If that is creation's longing to see you revealed, then step out in faith. Show regard by being fully you. Uh, the, the you that that God has defined, all right? So what are our responsibilities? I want to start in um, Matthew 28, uh, 16 through 20. This says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What is the command there? It feels like, it feels like there's a lot of commands there, but the command is to make disciples. And make disciples of who? All nations. We do that by baptizing and teaching, right? That's what it lays out in there. But we're talking about the, the land here today. And, and so now you, you might be wondering, why are you talking about the nations? Uh, why has that become the subject now? Uh, nations lay, lay claim to land. And I think that's, that's an important thing to remember here. Nations do lay claim to land. And citizens of nations also lay claim to land. And right now you could be considered to have dual citizenship in whatever country you're in, but also in the the kingdom of God. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God, the kingdom that is ruled by the king of all kings, uh, the kingdom that is ruled by the the Lord of all lords, the one uh, that has ownership of all lands. And, and the one who has all authority is the one in whom you and I reside. We have a responsibility to, to God for the land. The land is, is a part of the nations, and God has been actively reclaiming uh, the nations since the day of Pentecost. And, and he has been doing so through his family of believers, through you and I. Yes, you. The land has an expectation of, the land has an expectation and a longing for you to be revealed. And it will respond when you don't show up in the fullness of who God has created you to be. There is a response there. Again, understanding who we are and what we are a facet of. We are a facet of of the the bride of Christ, the the body, that oneness that we all share. That's what you're a facet of. And, And so understanding who you are and understanding that you're a facet of that, we know that the land has that expectation and longing for us to be revealed in that. And it will respond. It will respond if you show up in the fullness of that. And it'll also respond if you don't show up in the fullness of that. And you can look at the response from the land. When you look at the story of Cain and Abel, Cain, we know, killed his brother Abel because of uh, the, the offering to God wasn't accepted. Cain's wasn't. Abel's was. Cain got mad about that and killed him. But what was the response of the land? In Genesis 4, 8 through 11, it says, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from their hand. And it goes on to describe what the curse is from the ground. And that's, <laughs> One of the things when I read this story, I always wonder about it. How? What was the time? How long was the time between this this murder and God showing up and asking Cain, "Where's your brother at?" Because I can only imagine there is a, a frantic nature after Cain realizes what he's done, and and there is there is likely an attempt to cover it up. But the ground was was there. The ground witnessed it. The land felt it and it responded to this because there wasn't there wasn't a, a, a cane showing up in, in a fullness there. Here's another one. Matthew 27 verses 50 to 54. It says and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints had fa- who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went a- after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the son of God. Here again, the the land is having a response. All of creation was having a response that day. The skies were darkened. There was a great earthquake. The land was responding because the people weren't showing up in fullness. They were showing up and murdering the son of God. We have a responsibility to be stewards of the land. We have the responsibility to make disciples of all the nations. We have the responsibility to minister to the land, even when the people aren't listening. And we can see that the land does respond. It will respond. How do we carry out... our our responsibility. We understand, again, who it is that God says we are. We understand what we are a facet of, the bride of Christ, that that one body. We are a facet of oneness that comes together and, and, and makes one another stronger because we share oneness. We believe those things and then show up in fullness. It, it's, it's that simple. It really is. Uh, um, believe and step out in faith by taking action. We, we magnify and, and lift high the name of Jesus. And, and yes, I, I spent a lot of time talking about regard. And that was for a reason. Because we spend a lot of time as the body of Christ paying lip service to the fear of the Lord without going deep into what that actually means and what that actually looks like. We say we have regard for God, but do we demonstrate that by by acting on the assignments uh, given to us? Do we demonstrate regard? Uh, for God by examining closely uh, the words he releases over us and then demonstrate regard by partnering with him in action? Do we demonstrate regard for God by, by looking after and managing his property well, the land? I, I know that I'm I'm getting... Weeks ahead of myself in regard to foundation series, because we are going to get into this very topic of the fear of the Lord. But your examination of regard needs to start today. It can't wait. You need to get with Holy Spirit and start examining what this actually means, not just on that surface level. What does it look like in depth? It's gotta go, it's gotta go deep. We can't have regard for a couple hours on Sunday, and the rest of the week we're like, man, we live like whatever. That that can't be what that means. That's why I I wanted to spend a lot of time when we're talking about the land, we've got to talk about regard as well if the land remains under divine ownership of the most high God, the one who created everything, the one who created all the hosts of heaven, all of us here, we can't leave regard out of that. This needs daily action. Regard needs daily action. And a good place to start is what we discussed yesterday. Examine everything from the chief cornerstone. Whose measurements and and precise placement allow us to have the perfect place to start. He's the starting place for everything. You're not going to find uh, rejection in him because rejection is not the final word. And know that that his kingdom, the the kingdom of God, is in your hands. I think this is something that we have to continually go back to. The kingdom of God is in your hands. It's yours to steward. The the point of this whole broadcast is wrapped up in that the kingdom of God is in your hands. You are the the steward of, of the land In that kingdom. And so I'll leave you with this. The kingdom of God is in your hands. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it this week? I'm going to leave you with that question. I hope you dig into it this week. The kingdom of God is in your hands. What are you going to do with it? Love you all. Have a great week.